One, two, one, two. Now here we go. You know what time it is. Welcome to another episode of the Frankie Lee Podcast. Our mission, to empower others to break patterns, flip perspectives, so that together we have clarity, direction, and success way beyond what we ever previously thought possible. Here's your host, Frankie Lee. First things first, guys, before we get started with this podcast, do me a solid favor and subscribe to this on whatever platform you're listening to it right now. Whether that's YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, I'd appreciate if you just hit that subscribe button and it lets me know that the content that I'm putting out for you guys is hitting your ears at the right time. Much love. This podcast is sponsored by contentremoval.com. So whether you're looking to remove any images, videos, search results, fake Instagram accounts, get in touch with us at contentremoval.com. Cheers, mate. We started. James Smith, a beer with James Smith. Do you know what? I commend you. It's a new format. It's a new format. I commend you on not drinking. Mm. I think it's a very powerful virtue for people to be alcohol-free. Do you know what? There's There's a real stigma attached to it that most people think that you've got a problem when you don't drink. So it, it, I completely agree with you on this. I think that a lot of us uh, would rather point the finger than accept the issue that fundamentally our society is flawed in the sense that we rely on alcohol. And I'm very open about recreational drug use and alcohol is by far the worst. Yeah, and I... So my dad said to me when I was a kid, he said, look, you can drink. There's alcohol, there's wine on the table. But because he gave me the opportunity and said to me, look, if you want a wine or you want a beer, just ask me. But if you don't ask me, we've got a problem before you're 16 years old. Because he, because we had that conversation so early doors, it took away that want. I think so many people have it demonized when they're kids and then they want to go out and get it real quick because, because, it's, because it's held back from them. So I think, I think that's essentially all it is. Uh, one of my former housemates in Sydney uh, is Muslim. And when Ferris. I first, yeah, when I first met Ferris, I was like, so you don't drink at all? That's fucking crazy. I was like, what do you do on dates? And then I've done little stints of sobriety and I objectively like my quality of life more sober. But you fall into traps with alcohol. I'm drinking now and I'm going to be with you now. But like, it is a social lubricant. And we will get into confidence in many different ways. But if you were to say to me, would your life be better without alcohol? I'd say yes. But then if you were to ask me, could you see a life without alcohol? I'd probably say no. But here's, here's the thing, right? Most people that don't drink like myself don't demonize people for drinking. But they should. Why? Because it's destructive. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't I, no, because when I, when I see you have a few casual beers and you get, a, you, you just have a little bit of a laugh, a little bit of, you know, you might be belly flopping in the pool or sending it or, putting Sonny in a fucking three triangle choke hold or whatever you're doing right that's entertaining it is entertaining but there is something inherently destructive about alcohol and the decision making process like if I was to look back at the worst decisions I've made in my life almost all of them are when I'm drunk but all the worst decisions that you've made in your life guess what they've led to this point where you're a two times best selling author so are they bad decisions well it's yeah and it's interesting but then you could say maybe you'd have more books if you didn't drink so there's always like an argument to be made. I think that when I when I have the when we sit here and you cheers me with a sparkling water, I need to appreciate that you're in a better position than I am. Whereas the stigma would say you're the weirdo because you don't drink. No, because I've not sold one book yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Right. You know what I'm saying? Enough, so how to be confident? It's obviously a topic that you've that you've you've just written about and extensively seen about. Now here's my, now I'm going to give you my opinion on it. 
um, because I think there's a difference between self-belief and confidence. So when I was around boxing and boxers and all this stuff, a boxing trainer said to me early doors, he said, Frankie, confidence is like an external form of armor that you wear. So it's like a, it's wearing a sheet of glass or a mirror in front of you. You seem confident, but as soon as someone throws a pebble or something at that and, 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 and smashes your confidence, the glass falls and you can shatter confidence. What he said was, when you instill self-belief within yourself, that's something that's deeply ingrained and and within you. And, and he was saying to me that there's a massive difference between self-belief and confidence. From your research to this book, which obviously you've done a hell of a lot of on confidence, what's your opinion on that, that in itself and kind of how you've, how you've written the book? So for me, I think what probably annoyed me was that people would have just sat back and a lot of people would have looked at what I'd done and gone, he's a really confident guy. And straight away that kills the conversation narrative. Straight away they go, he is something. That's why he's done that. And I don't really like that. It almost sounds like a, a privileged discussion that you'd have. And really it kind of under, it undermines all of the kind of thought processes that I speak about in the book. So for instance, we have this debate here. Whatever we talk about in this interview, I am so happy to be wrong about something. So whatever conversational way we go down, even the alcohol thing, if I'm wrong... I've actually gone from a place of ignorance and bettered my position, whereas some people, especially people that feel they lack confidence, they are petrified to be wrong or to be ignorant or, you know, to have a conversation, not have the outcome they desire. And people need to realize that confidence isn't just something you're born with. It's not a personality trait. It's a kind of set of beliefs and values surrounding the outcome of anything. So I'm always happy to fail. Another reason I love jiu-jitsu you talk about the triangle chokes is the repercussions for failure are not severe compared to boxing. Boxing, if yeah. I throw a hook without putting a glove up, I get hooked. If I make a mistake or I expose my chin, I get punched. If I don't have a good enough defense, I will get hurt. In jiu-jitsu, the implications of failure are that someone advances their permission or they submit you. And the submissions happen even before there's even a possibility of getting hurt. So again, when it comes to confidence, it is so much to do with your relationship with it not working out. And I think that's, yeah, what, I like that. and I think that's what people really felt. I could take, so I would love it's to. It's the expectation, isn't it? It's the, it's, it's, I, ha I had this the other day when I, I built up this podcast, live podcast I had here, right? When I started this, when I started the live podcast, there was like 50 people in the room. And then when I ended it, there was maybe like 80, maybe getting up to a hundred people in the room. But I had built it up to this big thing where there'd be 250, 300 people from my first live podcast in my head. So I was then disappointed with the, with the outcome initially until I had a word of myself and, and thought to myself, hang on a minute, mate. <laughs> Two years ago, you started a podcast. You get to number five, you do this, you do this, you do this. You're now doing a live podcast. You've got Al Barrett on, you've got Staz on. It's pretty fucking good, mate. I don't know why you're feeling like that. What, what, what's that about? Like, and it's just a, that's an internal conversation. I think that's because we as humans set the fucking bar so high to achieve so much in such a little space of time that we don't allow ourselves to, be, to, to, to even um, become the confidence that you speak of because we, 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 we stop ourselves too soon, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, and I think that a lot of the kind of processes, I, I tripped over a lot of things in life that I didn't even realize at the time. So I worked in shopping centers selling a product called Love Film. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah I, love, I remember Love Film. 
So I was, I was literally before Netflix, wasn't it? Yeah. So I had to stop people in shopping centers, and you can imagine the amount of times that went wrong. So I was like, "Hey, uh, do you use Blockbuster?" And they're like, "Fuck off!" And then the next person try and stop them. And through the day, if I got nine sales, I got an accelerator, and my commission went from seven pounds to nine pounds. So then, if I got ten sales in a day, I made ninety pounds. But I'd be in the shopping center from eight a.m. to six p.m. just talking to people all day. I didn't realize at the time that really what was happening was I was conditioned to only think about the sales. So every time someone says I'm not interested, I didn't take it to heart. I just thought, okay, finish here. Next person's walking, I can talk to them. Same in door-to-door sales. I averaged one sale per 100 doors. So I'd knock on 100 doors, whether they were home, not home, whatever it was in the postcode. And one in 100, and I, even then I was very fortunate. It's about 10 years ago when British Gas put their prices up. I was working for Empower, where people were like, oh, we don't use Empower. And I go, Exactly. I'm here, British Gas, just put the prices up. I want to talk to you about potentially saving you money. And I became very accustomed and comfortable with failure because when I knew that one in 100 doors was a sale, when someone said no, I knew they were part of the 99. So then, yeah, yeah. then when I went from that into office sales where I'd call people, qualify, I worked pretty much as a phone basher for that. Then when I went to personal training, I'd, everyone was like, oh, you need to have a lot of confidence to walk the floor and build a PC business. I was like, no, i I'm probably going to have to talk to a certain amount of people to get a consult. Whether that amount is 50 people, 30 people, 10 people, or 100 people, it doesn't fucking change anything. I've got to go do that to get a consult. Cool. Now, out of five consults, I'll probably get three clients. Cool. So if I need 30 clients, I'll probably have to do 10 consults. 10 consults, I'll probably have to talk to so many people. That's the only way I saw things. I was like, confidence isn't fucking anything to do with it. There's things I need to do. I either do them or I don't. Now, it'd be very easy for me to then sit back and not talk to anyone, not have a client base, not have a business and go, I'm just not a confident guy. But I think a lot of the time it's a guise that people hide behind. I think that they use it as an excuse to not do the action. Yeah, yeah. And once you, once you reverse engineer, like you say, how many actions it takes for you to get the result, you can kind of set a, set a pace so you're not disappointed. And competence is the thing here, right? So the amount of people you need to talk to for success is going to rely on your competence as a skill. Your competence can only really get better if you practice it. So someone wants to get laid, they might have to talk to 50 people. A year later, they might talk to 40, they might talk to 30. And it's not all about sex, but the same with sales. In the onset, you might have to talk to 50 people to get a PT client. They might be 40, 30. As you go through life, you're only going to get better at that process. So, you know, it's, it's just one of those things where people just need to focus on doing the work. Like a lot of people are avoiding... I think Lucy Lord said to me, uh, the lessons you need are in the tasks you're avoiding. The lessons you need are in the tasks you're avoiding. Love it. Yeah, she's very good. She's, she's, she, she brings out the best quotes of anybody I've met. Do you know, she's very wise, but at the same time, not through seeking wisdom, she's helped herself enough that she can help other people. Yeah, so she's that person in your life that's always that, just that one chapter ahead in certain areas that can facilitate you bringing you, bringing you some perspective at that moment in time. Yeah, perspective is definitely the one. And so for so many people, they're like, oh, I'm not confident, so I'm not going to do it. But I'm like, the only way you're going to get better is by doing it. So yeah. you're in this like paradoxical you know, issue here where people, the only thing they need to do, the only way to getting better is by doing it, but they're not doing it because they don't feel like they can get better. So, is the is is the preface of the book then like so? Is is the the whole system of the book all about getting to the point where you can take the actions? Yeah, but then it's multifaceted as well. We need to look at you know 
social confidence, epistemic confidence, all of these different type of forms and nuances to the topic. But then the first thing that I draw people's attention to is saying, not all of us are confident in everything. If I had to talk to a thousand people, that'd be okay. But me having to go ask for a girl's number on a night out, well, one, I've got a girlfriend at the moment, so I'd be pretty fucked. But a year, two years ago, if I had to go get someone's number, that'd be petrifying. So I have confidence in some settings, but not in others. Duran, on the other hand, he's the silkiest geezer you'll ever see around women. Yeah, and he and he has, and, and this doesn't mean for anyone listening that he's trying to fuck everyone he talks to. But if there's a group of girls, and I'm thinking, oh, do you know what? We could maybe get a group of people together here. We could have a good time. He will just go, and it's not that he's a different person to anyone else. He's okay if that outcome isn't good. If they go over and say no thanks, he's not going to take it to heart. So, w- w- would you then? Uh, it's not even that. It would just be the uncomfortable situation of having to go over. And But then again, this is the interesting part. The amount you care about the uncomfortable situation is negated by alcohol. So that's why a lot of people right. drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to, yes, yeah. Because I, I, I've noticed in my own journey as, as a non-drinker, I had to develop being able to talk and introduce myself to people from a young age because I didn't have any way to lubricate that happening I just had to be it so I've done I've done the reps from early doors but I see a lot of men out there at the moment in the in 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 the marketplace so to speak that have to have alcohol to even be able to talk to a woman and that's that's and that's the problem is if you have to have something to do something else you that that's what you need to work on and work on removing that crutch. So it's all about, I think all, all, all of life is about removing the crutches that you need in order for you to execute what you should be executing anyway. Do you know what's interesting as well? One of the reasons that I like to drink when my friends are drinking is so they don't annoy me so much. Do you ever find drunk people are really fucking annoying? Yeah, I do. But because, <laughs> and, and this is why people have such success when they stop drinking because they then see the version of themselves they were before they drank. Yeah, see, I can't see a version because I've never been of that version. So I can't do that. But one thing I have learned over the time is obviously when I first started going out at like 15, 16, 17 and all that stuff in, into clubs and stuff like that, um, early doors trying to skip queues and all that stuff, I used to judge people who drank. But now I've realized if you don't want them as a non-drinker judging you, you can't be putting out the judgment yourself as a non-drinker, right? It's, so it's not, I don't, I don't see a problem with people drinking or not drinking. I'm like, that's cool for them. You, whatever's cool for you is cool for you, but you don't need to judge someone else on what they do and how they, and how they do it. Because that's where you create this void between, you know, in, in a social setting between, as if you're better than them or they're better than you or whatever, whatever. And it just creates fucking bullshit. Yeah, no, I mean, a lot of people then uh, need alcohol in situations they think they need confidence, but it's also a gaping reality that people are then avoiding working on their inadequacies so they could get better. So if you're not confident, it's not something set in stone, it's not finite, it's not like an engine capacity where, you know, that is the final and most output of an engine that's possible. But with the human mind and what we are capable of as human beings, there's always rooms for progression. So one of the big steps that I took, and I spoke about this last night, was that about two years ago, I stopped going on dates with alcohol. I just refused to drink for days. Yes. I mean, there's probably one or two I'd go on a couple of years ago, but ultimately I was like, I'm only drinking 
so that the fact I'm meeting a complete fucking stranger is less daunting and the time with them is less daunting. I was like, is this really something that I think is going to be congruent with like success? Probably not. So I was like, I can't be making decisions on whether or not someone is compatible whilst on the influence of alcohol. So yep. I started going for walks, going for coffees, going for dips in the sea, whatever it was. The girl I'm dating now, I met going for a dip in the sea. And then I could also reflect back on my, what I judged of her character because I knew that I was, is it, what's the term? Compass menace? Is that it? Yeah, compass menace, yeah. Compass menace. I was compass menace the whole time. Whereas you have a skewed reality of what that person was like when you've drunk. Yeah, and you can judge the true reality of the interaction by being sober and and, and you are your true self. And you, can, and you can work on becoming the best version of yourself in that sober window, whereas you, whereas you can't really control whether you're the best version of yourself with, a, with, a, with any form of toxin in your body, whether it's drugs, alcohol, whatever it is. Like, you can't really control who you are because depending on how much of the amount you've had differs in how you're going to react to certain things, right? And also, I can say this because I'm a man. You give any single man five beers and the amount of the population that he'd fuck, I'm staggeringly high. So, you know... If someone's not compatible, being sober was brilliant because I could make a mental note of that and go, this person is not right for me. I'd be very polite and have a good time with them, but then that would probably be it. But when men rely on alcohol as a crux for their confidence, they then instigate sex with people that they don't really want to have a relationship with. I don't know whether you believe this, but I personally believe now that whoever you're fucking plugged into in a sexual way... You, it's a, because it is a transfer of energy and you can you can pick up so much so many negative vibes and all that kind of shit from that kind of interaction do you know what i'm saying and as a man i'd also believe you lower your self-worth by engaging in too much of that yeah 100 percent. i think that for men listening to this they need to you know take into account ultimately although they might want to be a bit of a player or whatever they only really want to be having sexual encounters with people that they think are right for them even if it's just for sexual encounters but alcohol you know it's not just bottled confidence it's poor logic it's poor decision making it's you know all of these things that that can kind of skew someone's ability because at the end of the day you have an objective yeah a single man doesn't want to be single i don't care who the fuck you are on the planet yeah mate, mate I'm, I'm a single man right now and, and i'm as a 34 year old single man i'm like you know it'd be nice to have a girlfriend now even the players out there are just guys who are wait. This is one of my favorite sayings. Every man will quit the game for the right woman. 100%, mate. Every be- be- because actually, when you actually break it down, and I've, I've, had a, I've done a few reps in the game, like, it's not actually fun, is it? And, and not only is it, not only, yeah, well, actually, it is fun at the time to a certain level of degree, but then it, but then it becomes a negative effect. It starts affecting, like, you know, if you're choosing that over, writing your book or get, or you're or you're choosing you know that over time with your friends you know it starts to take things away from your life because you're trying to pursue this this hookup this uh interaction with this woman who isn't even right for you anyway yeah so yeah it's one of those things where you know men men ultimately but if we could look all the way back to the pain point that's driving this action it's loneliness so that's probably one of the, the biggest fucking problems and if you think for, there are a lot of lonely men out there, and I think about this all the time. There are a lot of guys that can't just click their fingers and find someone that's right for them. So this whole dating and this whole social 
you know, connections between people are so that people can bridge together to eradicate their sense of loneliness. So dating's an important topic, and everyone's like, why do you make everything about sex? I'm like, probably a lot of people's problems would go away if they had a life partner to share it with. And I think that we don't prioritize that enough. You know, in life, I, I said this, I was on Stephen's podcast uh, last week, and I go, ultimately, if I wanted to really impress my parents, it wouldn't be the Rolex or coming down the drive in a Ferrari. It'd be coming back with a woman that I was in love with and having a family. Yeah. I think if you really want to be, a, a, you know, a successful man in your life, that's really the metric for success. Not everyone's going to abide to that. I think it's one of those things. I think we need to look at dating as not just going out and fucking strangers, but looking at finding a compatible partner to grow old with. And, you know, that's a, a reality for a lot of people. And, if people don't feel like they have the confidence to do it and they rely heavily on alcohol, they're blurring the experience of dating. Dating is an important thing because we only have a finite amount of time to find this. And I'm sure, you know, you're not old by any means, but at 34, I bet there's an existential angst in your mind where going, fuck it out. Yeah. I might need to put more eggs in this basket of yeah. doing this. I, th- I think, I think for me on a personal level, it's like, right, I don't, um, I'm, I'm not, I'm not doing the hookup thing no more. Because it's just, it, it just, it just, one, it takes time away from what I'm passionate about, which is, which is my podcast and, and, and driving other, other things and this and that. I want to have a conversation. I want to be having conversations with these things. So I don't have no dating apps no more. None of that, none of that bullshit. No fucking hinge, no bollocks like that because that takes time away. You'd, I've never met anything that's, that's been good in terms of like conversational and, and compatible from, from something like that. I think, the best way a man can work in that space is to, is to have conversations with people on an, in a natural setting to do the game, how the game is meant, how the game was all, always was. There's a, I found this probably like three years ago where I had all kind of complexities with professional life and dating life and trying to get all these things to add up. But people need to realize that when you're on dating apps, the majority of these people, it's, this is going to sound really bad to say, the majority of people on dating apps aren't probably the best pool of dating partners. And the reason being is the people that are really good dating partners are probably in relationships. Because if you're, and this is why it gets harder to find someone as you get older, because the people that make perfect partners, people don't walk away from. So you have to look at that pool of people with a pinch of salt. Yep. That's not to say it doesn't work for some people. Some people have found love and had the best relationships, especially for people that like really struggle with meeting people or they have unsociable work hours or whatever. I do think they're definitely that. But it's interesting you say about not having casual hookups because I write about this in the book. It's a chapter. It's called Utility of Deprivation. There is a utility to depriving yourself of something. Again, all we need to do is pose a question to you. Are meaningless sexual encounters going to benefit your goal of battling loneliness? answer will be no because those quick fixes of meaningless sex will only elongate the process and the the hunger that you have inside you to meet a suitable partner and again we see this with porn if people i'm not saying i'm not saying porn's bad maybe i am saying porn's bad because you can access a lot of a lot of naked women there's 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 too much reliance on porn in male society and it and it and it has it creates these dopamine hits in your brain, and you are conditioning yourself. If you ta- if you if you 
wank fucking three times a day or fucking one times a day or whatever whatever you're doing and you, you ejaculate and obviously all, obviously you take away the want to go and pursue a woman because you because because that energy needs to that sexual energy that needs to stay inside of you so that you can you can want to go and pursue and want to go and talk and want to go and engage because that's that's the whole point of being a man right and i think that this also happens a lot where people get hooked on drugs where they can bypass the system to get what they want so they snort the cocaine they get the dopamine serotonin whichever one it is and you know they can bypass it and with porn they're those true evolutionary urges they have inside and they're satisfying it with a quick fix of porn and then they can lose sight of the whole goal altogether i'm very grateful in my life although i'm very open about using recreational drugs intermittently throughout my adult career the fundamental things that make me the happiest i don't need drugs for so that's fine if you were to say to me you're never going to do a drug again i go okay cool i'm actually quite relieved about that you know because i can source that happiness directly so people when it comes to relationships need to understand that again someone that's dating trying to find love whatever it is if i said to them do you think abstaining from masturbation and porn would benefit your net goal of finding someone again the answer is probably going to be yes because they're not building enough currency of urges to change their situation like fuck me you have a wank before a date you're not going on a date <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. A they, they, clarity. And, and, and yeah, and they and they and they call it a power wank because they reckon because it's keeping your power, but it doesn't keep your power. It's actually, it's actually, a, it's actually a, um, a a a wrong, a wrongfully named act in, is, in essence. So, like, uh, people need to appreciate that you know, if, when they're looking to kind of develop in certain areas of their life, giving up some things is going to be better. And so, let's say you're someone that wants to be more confident because. Confidence plays over into other areas of your life. So let's say you're lonely, but you're in a job that's got incredible prospects or whatever, and you go, I'm going to delete Hinge. I'm going to chat people up face-to-face. You start having more awkward conversations. You start asking waitresses if they can give you a pen and paper. You start giving your number to people and going over and going, not sure if you've got a boyfriend. Here's my number. If you would ever like to go for a, a coffee, a drink, whatever it is, blah, blah, blah. Here you go. Cool. Now suddenly... Now you realize all those things you were so fearful of aren't actually that scary. When you work, you propose something to your boss, you ask for a pay rise, whatever it is, all these things transfer across. And we've seen this in weight training for years where you train a woman to become stronger. That doesn't just stop a squat PB or a deadlift PB. That strength increase now changes her identity of how she sees herself and perceives her world. And now getting women strong in the gym makes them strong people, not just physically, but also mentally and with everything else. And I think that it's so good that people can create this utility of deprivation where they can, you know, eradicate things out of their life. And fuck me, let's say you do give up porn. You might be married to the love of your life and you still might want to bash one out in some freaky shit every other week, but at least you're with someone and you're living under the same yeah, roof yeah, as that yeah, person. Yeah, 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 yeah. And while your wife's at work, you might have a fucking freaky bank to like, I don't know, Bukaki or something <laughs> like that, you know? <laughs> I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I'm saying in the onset, at least your pain point has been eradicated at that point what, what, what's your most embarrassing point in being caught with porn I do you know what probably there's nothing like being walked in on or like fucking hell as a yeah but it's this one <laughs> my, 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 my mate I'm sure I mentioned his name but he, he <laughs> his missus fucking didn't finish him she, she went downstairs to get in the car and he's he's gone straight on the old porn up and um the, the, it, it's his phone was still connected to the bluetooth in the car so so it probably didn't end well 
he wondered why the sound weren't coming through. I think you could sort of spin a positive on that. Like, let's say you're a man, you're completely honest with your wife, and you go, I've got urges to fuck other women, and instead of fucking other women, I'm just going to wank over two people fucking. Like, I still th- I still see that as the yeah. lesser of two evils, but it is one of these things where it's pure hedonism, and it comes at a cost. And I've heard some freaky shit about bodybuilders on testosterone get super horny, so they're super, and this is all anecdotal. They get super horny, they're ranked a lot of porn. And apparently they're desensitizing themselves to porn so that the reality will never really live up to it anymore. And I've always like wondered about cuckolds where dudes, I can never imagine someone getting off on someone fucking their wife. So have you ever heard of cuckold before? Yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, I was trying to understand the, the <laughs> I've never spoken about this on a podcast before. I was trying to understand the psyche of someone who would want someone to fuck their wife. And I was like, this is kind of weird. But then I was hypothesizing about it. And I was like, if all you do is masturbate to watching people fuck, there might be a carryover to that, to your pornographic and then your yeah. real life kind of ambitions. And I was like, it's a really wild, weird world we live in. It, it, it also depends on, on like, they, they might have been brought into that sexual urge from being on Pornhub all that time. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, if you're on it all the time, you're going to keep getting introduced to more and more different layers of, of, of whatever it is you're looking at. And then, you know, it can create urges in your life that you didn't even know you had. And sexual encounters used to be very protected. So you've got to think that people didn't used to have, well, traditionalists in the religious sense would try and abstain from sex till marriage, which is crazy, right? So think about it now. It's absolutely crazy. It was something that was once much cherished. And there are some kind of, they're like not anti-feminist, but there's some women that go, you know, women have this utopian desire of what men should be. And men aren't always the perfect fucking, you know, person. We've got a lot, there's a lot of things wrong with men. There's a lot of things right about men. But women go, we're not as pure as we used to be. We're not having two things that in the misogynistic world of what you could see online, people go, men value youth and uh, they value like fertility. Let's say those two things that men really, really like. Women are having kids much later than they've ever done before. Youth, fertility and virginity. They were the three things traditionally that men valued in women. And that's not me saying that's what women are. This is me saying like, you know, if you look at religious texts and Bibles and everything like that, even in Islam, yeah, virgins are, you know, salam alaikum. <laughs> but like, so now women are having kids much later and they're sleeping with a lot more partners before they settle down. We've got to appreciate that from a societal standpoint, men and women are kind of cheapening themselves to what they would have had before. What's your thoughts on Andrew Tate? That's what I said earlier on when we were sat there. Do you know... So if we were to wipe the slate clean with Andrew Tate, you have to give him credit from his professional sporting background. Four-time world champion. That's impressive. The guy uh, also is uh, plays a lot of chess. Was a chess champion in America in his young years. Yep. So you know he's intelligent. I very much value the relationship he has with his brother. They share a bank account. I admire his relationship that he has with his brother. I also admire the relationship he has with his dad, who was also a chess champion. Yep. Ex-military family. So I did my research on the guy. I wanted to know before I made an opinion. You've got former military family that come from nothing, that have raised two sons who are incredibly close to each other, that both compete in kickboxing at a very high level. Even Tristan uh, has got a very European good, champion. Very good fight record. You've then 
instilled a entrepreneurial mindset into these kids from this from that looking in i'm impressed by them i'm impressed by them these two brothers doing this what they're doing andrew's then been caught up i think in the matrix of where he gets to sit piece to camera with a halo light in front of him and say things and what he says ignites fires across the internet you know some people get a, a thrill out of starting forest fires yeah causes fucking damage to everywhere but he's done this and i can see him because i do this as well he's going to have a lot of coffee sit in front of camera he's going to say some shit i personally think it's about five he's created a persona he's got lost a little bit on his journey where he said things i don't even think he means and the world has come down on him very hard but we can't defend him because the claims he said are misogynistic. They do not hold women in the high enough regard that they should be held. They are blatantly disrespectful. And what's annoying is, I've watched a lot of his content, and I got a lot of shit for following him, I lost about a thousand followers. The man I see isn't the man who was cancelled, if this makes sense. Someone that intelligent isn't misogynist. Someone that understands the way the world works would not have that disrespect for, for for men. And also, if his dad was this military chess champion, I very much doubt his dad was sexist. I very much doubt. How can you instill in your kids an entrepreneurial mindset and to be so intelligent, but yet to ho- have them hold women in such poor regard? I think he got caught away with growing his profile over his ethics and it came back to bite him really hard. I think a lot of the things he says, like you can't agree with on any level, some things he says are very intelligently put right that that that's the truth i think that like you say he 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 did get caught up in the act i think some clips he doesn't even say and what do i mean by that i mean some clips are clearly things from different points in the podcast that are slapped together to make him seem like he said statements that he never said and i think what what harmed andrew was the affiliate marketing play that he that he put into place that allowed him to say right you sign up to my hostage university you come in here you get value out of it and then and then as a byproduct of 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 upgrading your video skills take my content my whole back catalog make clips that cause fires on the internet that grows my my profile and i also pay you the problem was People were taking pieces of content from all over the podcast, slapping it together to make the most controversial stuff. And some of the some of the some of the clips that he's been cancelled on, I I can categorically tell you are not one clip out of a podcast. They are several clips put together. And by the way that they've been put together and the way that they've been cut and the and the B roll that was put in between isn't actually truly what he said. Whereas some of them some of them like you say he has said it. But I just think what do I admire Andrew Tate for? I admire Andrew Tate for the fact of like, he was someone who created a massive viral marketing play that we haven't seen before. And you have to respect the guy for that at the very least. Him and his brother have been doing this for over 10 years. They've been holding a camcorder in each other's faces for 10 fucking years, trying to make a name for themselves. And now they've got the, the Lamborghinis, they've got the fucking McLarens, they've got the nice suits, they've got the house in Romania. People see a snapshot of their success and this is part of it as well. If you see me at the bar and I'm wearing a Rolex, you could think I'm a cunt. But if you see me at the bar and you see my Rolex and I see you looking at it and I say to you that 
five years ago, I was living in a hostel in Australia trying to make ends meet. Suddenly I'm not a cunt because you know the story. Yeah. The story is so important to determine. The context. And, and for him, he actually kind of, the weird thing is, I don't support him with everything he says, but I, I find quite a lot of what he does likable because I admire his marketing. I admire his intelligence. I don't, and that, you know, he has been rightly so almost cancelled in some respects, even though I'm anti uh, cancelling or whatever. The thing is, in so much of our society, there's been an overreaction to certain topics, but this goes the other way and it goes against my point as well. Body positivity. There was an overcompensation. People, it was all about the six pack, then suddenly we got obese people promoting fucking Calvin Klein underwear. There's been an overcompensation in other areas like, uh, I think that racism in America as well, and I'm not saying that it's completely fine, I'm still hugely ignorant on many things like this, but you know, the whole BLM movement, there was a lot of things. Why I was getting hate messages for not posting a black square during the BLM George Floyd incident, I was like, hold on a second, this is pretty, this is overcompensation. Andrew Tate was pro-masculinity and he assigned gender roles, but he himself was also guilty of overcompensation. He went too far. What's, what's the biggest misconception out there at the moment about James Smith? People will make a judgment based on short-form content. And short-form content is something that's quite new to the internet. If we look at when the dot-com era started and to now. Now, a short on YouTube, a TikTok reel, or even a reel, you get rewarded at putting a f- three-minute video into 60 seconds. The time that most people thought I was an asshole was when Instagram put a limit on their videos to one minute. When I have to get a complex topic into a minute, I have to employ tactics of being audacious, facetious. Open loop. Yeah, rude. Rude in some respects. Sometimes, do you know what fucking annoys me? Or like, whatever it is, like yeah, you yeah, say, yeah, those yeah, open yeah. loops. So yeah, I think that if anyone listens to my podcast, and again, some of the things I've said today, you could accuse me of being, you know, actually, including the podcast from before, you could say homophobic, transphobic, you could say I'm a bigot, you say I'm a sexist, but if you listen and absorb any of my long content format, I don't think you'd come to those conclusions. You could only portray me in a bad light by listening to short form content. And I think that's the issue. But then Andrew Tate actually had his chance for redemption on Nelk Boys. This is my opinion. When he went on Nelk Boys, he went on the biggest fucking platform and podcast. And I watched that because I thought the real Andrew would come out, but he stayed in character and buried himself. It was, he actually turned up the misogyny when he should have been himself. And that was disappointing for me. Because if he was just a normal guy from Luton with an American passport who bought a Bugatti, he could have sat there with those guys and go, yeah, do you know what? I said things that I didn't mean. I did it so I could sit here with you today and be on the yacht. And I don't know if it was success. I don't know if it was money. I don't know if it was whatever it was. But at that point, he kind of put a nail in his own coffin. Did you watch the Nelt Boys one? Was yeah, I did. I watched the whole thing. Do you agree with that? I think that, yeah, like you say, he's. I think he's played a, a character for so long because he was so driven to get to where he got to that he kind of forgot his own identity and his true self and even everything he knows. And I watched his um, Save Top G or Top G. He went on his website and watched his, his final interview, as he calls it. Completely different guy. He did it too late. 
It was like using the NOS too late in the race. Yeah. And that that's the that's the proper guy. But he, he should have done it on Nelk Boys. He could have... He, it kind of annoys me in some respects. It's like wasted talent. Um, yeah, because I've seen... I'd, I'd like to think I know people like that. Not that I like, I'm friends with misogynists or anything like that. But I think I'm a good ju- judge of character on people. And nothing adds up there. Anyone th- with yeah. a modicum of intelligence would understand that doesn't add up. I think from what I see, I think previously someone hurt him and and the hurt has never been fully gotten over. I think when you get over that full hurt of what I believe was a breakup at some point where he has loved someone so much and they've hurt him a bit and he's gone the opposite way but and then used it as a content play. I think that's probably what's happened with him. I was thinking about this the other day actually. I think him and his brother held his dad as a, such a hero in their minds they're both trying to fill the shoes of their father who I think died like kind of recently. I think it's something to do with that. And I think their dad was probably, and again, I don't know anything about these fucking people really, but it's interesting where I see hyper people committed to a vision of hyper success. There's someone's shoes or their values that they're trying to fulfill. But do you know what? It was a real shame because he was a potential figurehead for bringing back what has been lost in masculinity. And when people say what's been lost in masculinity, they say strong men make good times, good times make uh, weak men, weak men make hard times, hard times make strong men, strong men make good times, good times make weak men. You heard that? Nah. So do that again. So strong times, uh, strong men fight hard, whatever, World War Two, whatever you want to call it, yeah. create good times. But good times then end up creating weak men because yeah. they don't need to be strong, which is where we're now. Weak men without backbones, without honour, without any of these things create bad times. Bad times create strong men. And the cycle continues. Sometimes we have to really, really remember that 80 years ago, people were storming those Normandy beaches to protect what we have now. And uh, Tim Kennedy was on Joe Rogan and he was saying about uh, Ukraine. He spent a bit of time in Ukraine and Afghanistan. And he said something about the Ukrainians. He goes, they've been ready for this. He goes, there's no fat people in Ukraine. There are probably some, but he goes, when you look at the streets of Kiev or whatever it's pronounced as, he goes, you've got people ready for war. They're not bickering about race or gender or fucking their pronouns. They're ready to, to... put their life on the line for their family. You look at people like the Klitschkos, you look at you know, Uzik. Uzik, you look at uh, Lomachenko, you know, if any, you know. Then instead of boxing, they're, they're out there fighting for the country. And even if we look now, they're some of the last remaining strong men. You look to other places, there are a lot of weak men. There are a lot of weak men that are more concerned about their pronouns than they are the state of affairs in the world. And it's worrying because... The whole Ukraine-Russia thing kind of kicked off and everyone knows about it. And also the pulling out of troops from Afghanistan. There are a lot of things going on in the world. In society, masculine men are almost frowned upon. But should there be a war tomorrow? Should people invade our country? Should tyranny reign over the world? It is the strong masculine men that you're going to want to lean on. I think it's very dangerous for us to breed these out of society. If we try and breed a nation of simps, we've got to accept that strong men, let's say, and again, people are like, what about strong women? That's not the point I'm making. 
strong men will have their flaws, 100%. But it doesn't mean we don't need them in society. And I think that's one of like the important things that people realise. We, If you look at the things we're really complaining about as a species now, it's worrying because weak men make hard times. And I think we can all... 100% agree with you, mate. 100% agree with you because it's going to happen. We're going to end up in a war at some point and you've got to be able to handle your business for yourself and for your family. And that's very important. Last one for you, mate. Last one for you. Before we go back for the drinks around the pool, for sparkling waters. Mate, do you think... Obviously, you've been for a lot as a kid with being adopted, right? Do you think that has something massively to play with you want with you wanting this relationship and then wanting this family and then to live in Australia and all this kind of stuff that you want. Yes. Clip this this would be a good answer. <laughs> so there are two things. Why this is actually one of the last chapters in the book. I won't give it away too much, but one of the reasons I think that I'm very driven and motivated for success is that being adopted meant that a woman that I'll never meet made one of the bravest decisions possible in their life no man can ever appreciate what it would be like for a woman to go through a full pregnancy to then give up her child i mean apart from the fact that you know the child will live it's very similar to death if you think about it chances are you never talk to it again see it again experience any of its life or whatever it's one of the most noble things that probably could ever happen so the fact that a woman would have given up her child me for a better life kind of motivates me in some respect because I I never want to shit on her decision if you know what I mean will you ever seek to meet your mum no I don't think so I would rather look at my life and my family connections moving forward not backwards I think that it could open more doors to complications than anything else if I want to worry about ties with families I'll look to pay it forward not backwards whether that's selfish or not I haven't fully I'm rubbled in my head but even being adopted or not my parents that I have gave me the best life it's very it's very privileged for me to sit here and I think that I've had one of the best lives ever and I'm talking about billions of people that have ever existed I wake up some days and go I've lived one of the best lives that's ever fucking happened on this planet. And it was because of the decisions they made. It was the decision. And it takes a strong man and woman to take on someone else's child, bring them into their home and give, give that child everything that they can. A hundred percent. And that's very noble from them as well. I think there's some of the reason I won't meet my biological parents is to do the, to respect that as well. But do you think I don't think I don't think that you, I think the parents that you have wouldn't see it as disrespect anyway. Yeah, and your parents they wouldn't, but the parents who bring you up at the end of the day, I think that's really important. Yeah. And another thing is that so where I live with my parents, it's in like a nice house. So people are very quick to go, oh, I spoil, oh, I's a fucking rich kid, or whatever. Whatever they want to say, that's fine. But that wasn't by accident. It wasn't like the British government just threw out land to different people and said, Oh, the Smiths have a fucking acre in Berkshire or whatever. My parents throughout their whole life made long-term decisions based on what would be good long-term, not short-term. And the same happened with my upbringing where, you know, a lot of people are very worried about the short-term. My mum and dad were sensible with their money. They worked hard. They went to work every day, whatever it is. My dad commuted like an hour and a half every day for 50 years. 
50 years, like we, we calculated that he spent like six years of his life on the same train. So like it, people, I think really underestimate that. And for me, I, I look back on my parents, and although they're very happy, I realized that they sacrificed their existence so I could have mine. And I get excited to replicate the same thing because the way I feel about my life now, I'd like my kids to feel the same about theirs. And I think that's a pretty noble thing that you can do in life. I love it. And everything that you're going to give to your child has come from what your mum and dad have instilled within you. And the cycle will continue. Which is a beautiful thing. James Smith, thank you so much, my man. Thank you for coming on. Where can they get your book? Anywhere they like. How to be confident or type in James Smith. Amazon is a pretty pretty easy way to get it. But in Australia, they're not mad on the old Amazon hype. So Booktopia, Dimux, Eason's in Ireland, wherever it is, WH Smith. Yeah, guys, get, get, get a copy. Um, get a copy. Get a copy ordered. I'll put the link in the description. That's James Smith. That's the Frank Lee Podcast. This is a quick episode. How to be confident. Much love. Don't forget to subscribe to the Frankie Lee Podcast.